You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. We are going through the Gospel of John verse by verse as we're hearing the testimony of one of Jesus' nearest and dearest friends. That's John, the author of this Gospel. And today we're going to look at one of the most loved stories in the Bible, you know, outside of the resurrection of Jesus. There is only one miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels, and it's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. We established, we saw this last week, that the whole Bible is about Jesus, but there are themes throughout. And one of the major themes of the Bible is stewardship. It's about how our stuff is a part of our relationship with God, how God is the owner and we're the manager. Jesus himself taught on stewardship about 25% of the time. That is wealth, finances, possessions. Why do I tell you this? Because the text we're going to look at today is about stewardship. It's about a little boy setting an example by bringing resources to Jesus. Here's how John chapter 6 opens. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. Now, this was one of the towns that existed around that body of water that is still in existence today. Tiberius was named after a Roman emperor. And so the official Roman name of this body of water is the Sea of Tiberius. However, the locals, and as we see so often in the Bible, it's referred to most often as the Sea of Galilee. I've been there a couple of times. It's a huge body of water. It's, it's about seven miles wide, about 13 miles long. And there at that sea, a great crowd of people followed him. So Jesus' ministry is finally starting to take off. And here's why they were following him. Because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Jesus thus far in the Gospel of John has healed people and made wine. Let me tell you, if you can do those two things, you'll have a lot of friends. What do you do? I make wine and I heal people. Hey, we're hanging out. So there's this large crowd who's really interested, not so much in who Jesus was, but in what he could do. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples The Jewish Passover festival was near. Now, we're going to return to that event in a moment. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. You know, sometimes Jesus asks questions that he doesn't necessarily expect an answer. He just wants us to search our hearts. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. It's like Jesus, if we're going to feed them a full meal, it'll probably take two years worth of income. We are a poor little ministry. We don't have that in the bank. 
Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? I don't think it's really going to make a difference, Jesus. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Now, this does not include women and children. So now you're talking 15, 20,000 people. It's a massive crowd that has gathered. So from what we have heard so far in the story, let's talk about a few things. We're going to talk about Jesus, Philip, Andrew, and that little boy. Jesus first. I want you to see that people are drawn to Jesus. You should invite your friends to church and don't be shocked if they come. You should invite your friends to give you prayer requests and don't be shocked if they do. Sometimes we think there is great animosity toward Jesus. Sometimes there is. But oftentimes what people have a problem with is church in general or Christianity, but they're still very curious about Jesus. So don't be shocked. Easter is coming. Invite your family. Invite your friends. Invite your neighbors. Invite your enemies. I mean, if anybody could heal that person and make them whole, wouldn't that be awesome? Invite everyone because everyone needs Jesus. So here is this large curiosity toward him. So Jesus sees this large crowd coming, and he's going to use this as a teachable moment to one of his disciples, a guy named Philip. Now, Philip grew up in this area where this miracle is taking place, and so he already knows the area. Jesus goes to him first and asks, okay, Philip, here's all these people. How are we going to feed them? And Philip's like, well, we never did get that Costco. I don't know. I don't see how we're going to get the resources. And Philip runs the numbers. He's like, it'll take too much. We don't have enough in the bank. And Judas is like, yeah, we don't have enough. I don't know what happened to it. So Philip goes to Jesus. The numbers don't make sense. It's not going to work. This ministry event, we can't do it. Here's what Philip does. He runs the numbers, but he leaves God out of the picture. He doesn't ask Jesus, okay, Jesus, here's what we've got in the natural, but with you, what do we have in the supernatural? He could have gone to Jesus and said, I saw you turn water into wine. Do you do bread? Remember back in the Old Testament, God's people were journeying in the wilderness for 40 years during the Exodus. And every morning, God provided them with what? To eat. Manna. Yeah. So, hey, Jesus, do you want to do that again? Philip runs the numbers. And he doesn't ask the Lord. You know, some of us are that way. We run the numbers and we say no. But we haven't asked the Lord if he wants to add provision to our vision. Philip has this vision to feed the people, but he doesn't trust God for the provision. 
Now, that doesn't mean be reckless. I'm not saying, well, Pastor Paul said, put it on the credit card and the Lord will pay it off somehow. I'm saying be wise, be prudent, but you have to ask the Lord, Lord, what do you have to any adjustment or addition to my numbers? But then Andrew steps up. Here's another disciple. And Andrew brings two things to Jesus, resources and a person. This is ministry that you and I, we can all do. He brings resources to Jesus and he brings a person to Jesus. Who's the person he brings? It's this little boy. And what are the resources? Five barley loaves and two fish that this little boy has. Now, he's probably a poor boy because barley was the food for the poor. So this is not an awesome lunch. It's a minimal meal and it says about the fish that they were small. So I don't know, are we talking sardine size? Here's what you and I can do though. We can bring resources and we can bring people to Jesus. And Andrew's like, I don't know, I can't fix it, but here's what I've got. I've got a kid and a Lunchable. And I'm gonna bring this kid and this Lunchable to Jesus and I'm gonna see what he wants to do with it. If you bring someone before Jesus, you're following in the ministry of Andrew. If you bring resources to Jesus, you're following in the ministry example of Andrew. And then there's this little boy. The thing about this little boy is that he has childlike faith. Jesus tells us not to have childish faith. In 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul is going to expand on that. And he says, you know, when we become adults, we put childish ways behind us. Immature, irresponsible, foolishness. That's childish. Jesus commands not childish, but childlike faith. How many of you realize that for kids, their ability to trust God is sometimes far greater than ours? that they simply trust that God can do anything. They pray and they actually think God does hear and answer prayer. And as an adult, we get so caught up in our heads. We're like, I, I don't know, I'm just not sure. Childlike faith, it's simple trust with humility. This little boy has that kind of faith. He doesn't see this crowd and start to think, well, five loaves, two fish, they're not going to get the job done. His thought is, I'll give them to Jesus and see what he wants to do with them. That's faith. My question is, how have you really seen Jesus take what you've given and multiply it? You see, that's the miracle of multiplication, that that's childlike faith. That's what it allows. It allows us to participate in Jesus' miracle of multiplication. Remember, this is happening during the Passover festival. And this is pointing back to the Old Testament. So back in Genesis, God raises up a guy named Abraham. Through Abraham come Isaac and Jacob. These are God's children, God's family. And eventually... There's a guy named Joseph. And what happens is that famine hits. And all of God's people are on the brink of starving to death because they don't have bread to eat. 
So God raises up Joseph to eventually become second in command of all of Egypt, the neighboring country. The Egyptians store up through a vision that God has given to Joseph during the years of plenty, hey, store up the grain so that when the famine hits, Egypt has plenty. They have an abundance of grain. And so God's people then relocate to Egypt so they can be provided for. Now, this small family of God's people that relocated to Egypt, I don't know, maybe 60 plus folks, 440 years later, when Exodus opens, they are now a nation of maybe a few million people. God's ministry of multiplication. Whenever you and and your family become believers in Jesus Christ, that's the ministry of multiplication. It's, It's God adding you to his family. So now they're in Egypt. 400 years go by, and they are being ruled over by a godless, a godless ruler who thinks he's God, he's a Pharaoh. And he's oppressing them and enslaving them. And what God does then is raise up a guy named Moses to be the deliverer. God supernaturally takes down this false king and this false kingdom, and God liberates them so they can walk out of Egypt toward the land that he has appointed for them. And along the way, during their wilderness wandering for 40 years, every day, God's people are going to die unless God provides manna for them. And if you didn't have the faith in God's provision, you would try to take that manna and store some up for the next day. And what are we told in Scripture happened to the stored up manna It's spoiled. That meant every morning, you got to trust God again. Every day, you got to put your faith in God again to supply your need. It's why the Lord Jesus, when he comes along, he tells us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. All of this is happening during the season of Passover, which is a celebration, commemorating, remembering the exodus and God's rescue, God's deliverance, God's provision for his people. Jesus comes along as a greater Moses, a greater deliverer, not just delivering his people from an earthly kingdom, delivering his people from hell itself, not just delivering his people from a person but from Satan himself. And as God's people, we are on a pilgrimage toward our eternal home and we're wandering through this world, which is a wilderness. And all of this is showing that Jesus is able to provide daily just as he did for his people in the wilderness. So all of this is a foreshadowing All of what is happening in the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of the coming and fulfillment of Jesus. The story continues, and we're going to read that Jesus cares about physical and spiritual needs. So back to verse 10 again, just to remind you where we left off in the story. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. 
Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. How much? (laughs) As much as they wanted. This is all you can eat buffet. Jesus picks up the tab. This is a picture of the kingdom. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten to remind them that Jesus meets needs. In fact, sometimes he surpasses needs. And after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. They're quoting Deuteronomy 18, which is where Moses says, I am a prophet, but a greater prophet is coming and he is going to bring you the word of the Lord. Now, we already saw this in John chapter 1, that Jesus Christ is God's word for the world. What God wants to say to us comes through Jesus to everyone, everywhere. So here is the story, 5,000 men plus women and children, and I want to talk about stewardship and how God meets our physical and spiritual needs. So I'm going to give you some points. There's seven different points in this story story. Number one, be thankful for what you have. Question, was this meal an extravagant, fancy meal? No. I mean, as far as meals go, this is pretty simple. It would be like in our day saying, well, they had a peanut butter sandwich. Very simple, very humble, very poor meal. And what does Jesus do? He takes those loaves And it says that he gives thanks. You know why Christians pray before meals? Because Jesus does. He did so in this miracle. He does it at the Last Supper. It's a way of thanking God for his provision. Are you thankful for what you have? That is the antidote to our sense of entitlement. So how much money is enough? How much food is enough? How many square feet is enough? And some of you say, well, when I get there, I'll be satisfied. If you have this entitlement mentality, you'll never have an attitude of gratitude. And coveting is sinning. And that's a result of discontentedness. The way we war against that is through thankfulness. Lord, thank you for what you've given me. And let me say this, Jesus is king of kings and Lord of lords. Could he have provided this elaborate spread for the people? Absolutely. But he's thankful for what he has. And that is modeling thankfulness for all of us. Number two, God sees and cares for our spiritual and physical needs. Jesus comes, he lives without sin, he dies on the cross, he rises from dead to meet your spiritual need of forgiveness of sins and relationship to him. Along the way, he provides for your physical needs. If you're sick, is it okay to pray for physical healing? Yeah. If you lose your job, is it okay to pray that you get a new job? Yes. 
I had someone tell me recently they lost their job, but they have faith that God is going to get them through. God is going to see them through, but it's still worth praying for. And so, you know, meeting practical needs is a way to do ministry and love people. So if you feed someone, you house someone, you offer transportation to someone, you're helping them. You're ministering to the whole person because it's also going to bless their soul as you meet their physical needs. Now, I'm not suggesting that God will meet your every need, especially on your terms. But this story indicates that sometimes he will. Number three, God can multiply what you give. So here's this little boy. He's got five barley loaves, two small fish, and a stadium full of people. How is this going to make any difference at all? And sometimes we think, you know what? I'm not going to give. Because I don't have that much and the, meat and the need is too great. Or I'm not going to serve because it's not really going to matter. Look, the need is tremendous. Our relationship is broken and I'm not going to add any more emotional energy to this because it's not going to work. We can come up with a whole lot of reasons, excuses, why our resources are insufficient. So we think, well, to give them is a waste of time. And Jesus would say, no, give them to me and watch me multiply them for you. Can you imagine how excited this little boy was when all this was happening? I mean, this had to be crazy. And had he not chosen to give, he would not have seen God do the amazing Number four, God does big things with little things. Samson kills a thousand with a jawbone. David kills Goliath with a small rock. When God entered human history, he did so through a teenage girl. Did Jesus grow up in a big town or little town? Little town. Did his family have big income or little income? Little income. Some of you may feel little, like what you have won't make a difference. You don't have a lot of money. You have minimal skills and resources to offer, and God's like, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Because if you can do it on your own, you don't need him. If you feel little but make yourself available, God can use that. Number five, seek to be a steward. Just so you know, there are three perspectives on your stuff. One perspective is what's mine is mine. (laughs) And that's selfishness. And if that is you, you're like, I don't share, I don't give. And why are you talking about my money? (laughs) Well, there's your problem. Another perspective is what's yours is mine. That's stealing. You're always trying to figure out, well, how can I get what's in their hand, what's in their possession, in my possession? I was talking to someone recently about how it's going at their work, and they described for me a problem, but it wasn't the customers that were stealing the merchandise. It was the employees who were walking in the back door and walking out with the merchandise. It's as if they thought, well, the company owes me. 
I should have more money, therefore I will take what I feel I have, I have coming to me. We also do that with our time. I'm not working. I'm going to fudge my hours. I'm not going to be good at my job because they owe me. They owe me more than this. So one perspective is what's mine is mine. That's selfishness. What's yours is mine. That's stealing. There's a third perspective. What's mine is his. It's God's. That's stewarding. A steward says, I am not the owner, I'm the manager. God is the owner. And here's what I want you to know everything that you have is ultimately God's to begin with. Jesus says, uh, sorry, James says, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. So then it's not, well, how will I allocate my resources? It's, Lord Jesus, how do you want me to allocate your resources? That's stewarding. Number six, start generosity young. Here's a little boy. He's the one with the generosity mindset. How many of you have kids, grandkids? Here's one of the first words they learn. Mine. And when does it stop? I don't know. I'll let you know. Mine, 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 mine. And kids are always fighting each other for things. It, siblings, it doesn't matter. And we think, oh, it's just a phase I'll outgrow. Look, we've all been there. Most of us have outgrown it, yes. But that's not necessarily the case. Some selfish children become selfish teenagers that are now selfish adults. Did this little boy learn this from his parents? Or did he just have a, a heart of generosity? Regardless, he was cultivating the heart of Jesus. Who can I bless today? How can I help? This is not how the world works, by the way. But this is how the kingdom of God works. And number seven, giving is a blessing. In Acts 20, 35 the Apostle Paul quotes something from Jesus that's not in any of the four Gospels, and it's this. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, there is a bad teaching out there that says you give to get. If you give God $100 in faith, he'll give you $1,000. I don't believe we give in order to get a blessing. I believe the giving is the blessing. How many of you would count as one of your greatest blessings is when you help someone and bless them? That's why even non-Christians will give because they are created in the image and likeness of God and our God is a giver. We don't give to get a blessing. Giving is the blessing. God's heart is like that. He doesn't give to you to use you, abuse you, manipulate you. Our God gives to you to bless you. Our God is a giver. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The father gave the son as the gift. And that gift is an eternal gift. Now the story's going to conclude with one more verse. As everyone gets excited and ready to elect Jesus. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force withdrew again to a mountain by himself. 
They're like, we like Jesus. Let's get him on our team. And Jesus is like, I'm not on your team. I've got my own team. I don't join your team. You join my team. I'm not elected to run for an office in your kingdom. I've got my own kingdom, and it's over every other kingdom. They were not saying, we want a relationship. We, we want forgiveness of sins. We, we want eternal life. They were not excited about who Jesus was. They were excited just by what Jesus could give. So they were using Jesus, not worshiping Jesus. That was their problem. But this miracle points out to the fact that ours is a gracious, generous God who provides for us physically and spiritually. Remember the context of this story. It's Jesus at a Passover feast. And when it comes time to celebrate this Passover festival with his disciples for the last time, he's going to sit down with them at a meal. And he's going to take bread. And after giving thanks, he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. And the cup, this is my blood shed for you. That he would die in our place for our sins as God's gracious, generous provision so that we can have a relationship with him. And Jesus dies on the cross and he comes back from the grave and he has a meal. One of the first things Jesus does is he provides a meal for his disciples. And then he ascends after 40 days. He ascends back into heaven and the early Christians start celebrating the Lord's Supper or communion together. And it's a way of saying, you know what? This is about eating with Jesus. It's about inviting Jesus into every aspect of life. It's about inviting Jesus into our relationships, inviting Jesus into our homes, inviting Jesus into our marriages, inviting Jesus into our budgets. It's about a relationship with him in everything that we have and everything that we do. And ultimately... In this relationship with Jesus, all of your sin will be forgiven. All of your brokenness will be healed. All of your longings will be satisfied. All of your questions will be answered. All of your fears will be removed. And furthermore, all your physical needs will be met. Those of you who are suffering, you will be healed in the resurrection body that Jesus gives to you. And in the kingdom of God, we're going to sit down together. And the book of Revelation tells us that we're going to eat together. And we're going to celebrate together forever in the presence of Jesus. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.